Now broadcasting from the Next Gen Conservative Studio in sunny South Florida. Bringing you the latest in politics, current events, and pop culture. This is the Whitfield Report with Sam Whitfield. Well, well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to tonight's edition of the Whitfield Report. I am your host, Sam Whitfield, broadcasting live here from South Florida, uh, here at NGC Studios, and I want to thank you so very much for joining me, as always, here on a Saturday night. And uh, this evening, we have a very special guest, uh, Mr. Jack Pierce, who is a um, author and a podcast host will be joining us for this uh, first segment of the show for the next uh, 30 to 45 minutes or so, and um, I'll be interested to chat with him and kind of cover his work in general, and then we'll also be covering um, the Arizona audit, and then some stuff related to uh, Gabby uh, Petito. And news of that regard, since many of you have been asking my opinion on that. Um, Apex will not be joining us for the first half. He uh, has to close, but he will. Uh, he has to close at his day job, but um, he will be joining us in the later segment. Um, but anyway, I contact him as usual. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at somebodyvernscorndc. At Sam Whitfield on Gab Parlin Minds, uh, Facebook.com forward slash Whitfield Report. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And uh, wherever else you get your podcasts, and please give us a five star rating and review. And hello to uh, Bruce City and uh, Fellow in a Meadow in the chat, and uh, to all of those who are looking in the chat. And uh, Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, we have Mr. Jack Pierce with us tonight. So, um, without further ado, Mr. Jack Pierce, welcome to the program, sir. How are you doing? Doing well. Uh, so, I'm very glad to have you on, and I haven't heard much about you, but, uh, I did listen to your podcast, and I really like what you've got um, going on, some of the episodes. I know that when I tuned in, um, you were doing the Jack uh, Pierce project, and um, from what I understand, you're planning on changing that a bit. Um, But just briefly explain, I know you're an author too, so um, just kind of explain how did you get into... Uh, being an author well i mean it really just started i saw the first scream when i was probably six or seven because i'm 32 now so by the time scream came out i was probably six or seven but but anyway i saw that and i just really wanted to make horror movies or horror anything at that point because you know back in the late 90s it really was you know the horror boom is you know what i grew up in you had scream and resident evil and silent hill and sure all of this stuff you know it's like all of this horror stuff was like that was like the big horror boom you know the resurgence of all this horror stuff 
so i was always in the horror culture as a kid and just you know when you're 10 years old you don't have a camera you don't have actors you don't have talent and you don't know what you're doing so i mean the, you have to i was figuring well maybe i should just write scripts and stuff and that's what i did and um did that for many years until and then i quit around i don't know high school or something but then i did multiple different projects after that that were not writing and finally i just sort of ran out of steam on doing those projects which funny enough for podcasts too about other stuff but um just became an author after that and that's it so are you a, a self-published author or, or do you actually have a, a publishing uh agent and and whatnot because i i've interviewed both types of authors um before and I'm I, traditional i'm traditionally published okay well that well that's that's cool then um and uh like i said i haven't heard i haven't read any of your uh work yet although i am planning on um doing that and then um how did you get into podcasting because i know that that's kind of uh, something that you've gotten into too and you, your podcast is very uh interesting to say the least yeah thanks for that um really it was i did youtube for many years like starting in 2008 all the way up to 2018 i was 10 years of youtube and you know interspersed with that i get sick of youtube as a platform and ended up just doing you know more or less podcasts like almost daily podcast really um around 2015 to 2018 and um just various formats and everything but you know i've just always kind of been around it really you know as uh, i think i started as like a game reviewer and a whole no it was a horror movie reviewer is what i started as and then it was a game reviewer then it was a political sort of guy and then you know back to um doing what i do now basically well that is um that is interesting that you started out kind of uh you know, you you and I have both kind of uh, touched upon multiple genres. I mean, I'm I'm a political guy who also likes to do pop culture and uh, whatnot. Now I'm looking at your bio here, and uh, you're saying that the new podcast is uh, Tear Tracks. So, um, is that a new project that you've got going, or have you been working on that for a while? I know you have a couple of different uh, projects out there. Yeah, well, you're saying something about the Jack Pierce project earlier, and basically what happened was I was doing Terror Tracks, which was the original podcast for all this stuff. And for some reason, I got it in my head that it wasn't scary enough, so I was going to switch to the Jack Pierce project and, you know, stroke my ego by doing that. And then it failed miserably, so I switched back to Terror Tracks after about four episodes. So that just didn't work you just uh, like you know the the ratings just went straight in the toilet when i got rid of the tracks branding but um yeah i mean then i started thinking i'm like really two-thirds of the show is horror you know like straight up horror so you know the first uh third really is just me trying to teach people how to write horror how to handle the publishing world and all the nonsense that comes with it and how to deal with the people and just just personal stories of what it's been like being an author and being in all these different spaces so which is it's interesting that that's what that that's what tanks because that that part of it is actually kind of what attracted uh me 
to you as well. So I, I love hearing from other um, creators and just hearing their uh, creative process, so to speak. Um, and I remember one episode that I actually listened to today that you published, I think, probably about a month ago, is uh, just like, you know, the Be Yourself episode and Don't Trade don't chase the dragon and i mean yeah 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 i really think that um you know as kind of like a fellow creative i've definitely had to remind myself you know not to do that and uh you know i don't think that's that's not something that too many people you know talk it's always about clicks and views and you know gaining more um people so you know just the fact that you're encouraging people like I do to focus more on the creative process is, uh, you know, is awesome in my, in my book. Um, so yeah, I, I, uh, I just feel like your podcast. So, um, now in terms of, um, specific horror genres that you write in, like I said, I'm not too familiar with your written. So, Kind of within the uh, horror sub subgenre, what would you say uh, your kind of strengths or favorite subjects to write within that genre are? I would say, I, I would honestly say my horror is, is more akin to like Silent Hill and stuff like that than anything. You know, very Silent Hill, very Law and Orderish. You know, so more like. So more like psychological thrillers. Yeah, than, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I definitely think that, you know, that's... That's a market that... Um, I mean, I think there's endless possibilities, especially, like, now with what's going on in the real world. I mean, you can almost, you know, put, like, an infinite number of stories from that, um, you know kind of within that genre i think yeah i think it's sort of you can melt a lot of genres together so some of my books are i think two of them you could really say is more like horror plus mystery and then the rest of them are like you know it's just different things you know a lot of psychological elements so it's not really i don't think that horror really is just one genre like in a ball basically there's like a lot of elements and a lot of genres sort of mixed together if you really think about it because you know it's like i mean just like i said it's law and order a lot of my books are law and order plus you know halloween kind of you know um chasing down serial killers and then supernatural elements and just trippy scenes and all that stuff yeah what is your uh what is your process for writing would you say Come up with an idea and just start and <laughs> just, just go and hope for the best. That's really all I do. So you, so you don't like do any of this like fancy crap where you like drop store webs or anything, thing like that. Um, you know, or anything. No, like no. Yeah. So you're, you're kind of like I am when you write, you just, you just go for it and then edit later. So yeah, and you just that, that's what you should do. One piece of advice I gave everybody near the beginning of tracks was when you're writing your first draft, do not look at what you wrote before unless you're trying to remember a story element that you're going to build on. Do not edit your first draft until you put the end 
because you will end up editing the first 100 pages over and over and never get anywhere. I had that problem with my first book, and it just it, like we it just was a headache. The first 100 pages of Under a Morning Star are probably the most beautifully written thing you've ever seen because I edited the damn thing like 100 times. Every time I get writer's block, I go back and edit the first 100 pages like an idiot. Yeah, I mean, that's something that, like, because I, I've also actually done some writing. I, I've I've self-published, like, in the political uh, thriller genre, kind of some short stories, and that's something that, like, I kind of had to, you know, work on, too, was just, just kind of writing and getting, at, and getting out there. So, yeah, it's good to know that I'm not alone in just kind of the, you know, just kind of like the the written diarrhea approach as i like to uh put it um well that's know. the way stephen king does it you know he he does like you said the written diarrhea part that's really what stephen king does too and a lot of authors do um some, what you're what you're thinking about is they will call us pantsers you know we fly by the seat of our pants even yeah though i think there's i think verbal di- like written diarrhea is a lot better you know way to explain what we do really or vomit on the page what they call your first draft the vomit draft you just you know spew it out kind of and um but there's some people i think michael Crichton does it and i don't know who else does it besides him but what you're thinking about is like plotters where they get like you know the big story web and getting scrivener and get, get all these maps and you know just outline the entire book from chapter one to chapter 50 and have all like the entire thing you know like already figured out and then they just fill in the blanks and you know that's just that's how some people work and i don't work that way i think that works great in nonfiction. is if you're trying to get a point across or trying to like you know have one right um sort of message you're trying to get especially with politics you know you pick your whatever like let's just say the 2020 election and you would have like you know your 10 or 15 you know bullet points that you want to make chapters out so chapter one would be like you know, explaining context or whatever on and on until you get to your final conclusion of what you think really happened and all of that. But I think that works great for nonfiction because it gives you focus, but I don't think it works for fiction. In my opinion, I don't know. There are plenty of fiction books done well plotting, but for me, I wouldn't be able to do it without being nonfiction. Right. Yeah. I kind I kind of agree with you. And I also know that like there are these authors who like you know they say they do research for like their fiction books and i have no idea what that means because it's like it it if it's fiction like you know unless you're doing something like you know about the taliban like you know or something like that like how much research do you really need to do like there's you know like if you're coming up with it with you like your own idea there doesn't need to be that much in-depth research or anything done uh, with that if you're a if you're a uh, fiction writer. And then with no, the- no, I know I know what they're talking about. What they're talking about is like let's say that you were doing a sci-fi novel and you needed to look up how a certain sort of you know computer system works. That way you can use that as sort of like a plot thing or something. Or if you're like you know, needed to know how the police operate in certain situations. You look up the protocol for that. So it's realistic. Yeah. So it's more of a realism thing. Like, you know, if you're not an expert in the field, you don't want to just make up bullshit and just, you know, make people 
like um you know make it not believable because if a cop reads it's like that's not what we do you know like a lot of people you know there's a lot of cops that might read books and you know people that may know the field better than us and oh sure yeah it'll just sort of distract if you are writing about a real life incident topic or profession and not knowing like the ins and outs sort of like a great example of this is if you watch like those TV shows where they have like the person that always has a techno babble and all of it is, you know, not, it's not true or accurate, you know, like they'll tr- like, I don't know. What was it? Like the law and order Gamergate episode was famous for that, where they, you know, had that terrible, Oh God, it was just ice tea was trying to translate all the modern lingo and it sounded so cringe. And that hurt me because I love SVU, but, my god that episode was trash yeah yeah they yeah they've uh i mean there have been a bunch of shows that are like that too uh you know and that's kind of another thing i wanted to uh talk to you about here so you actually kind of segued in to that i so you know i i know that you say i mean i i have your twitter pulled up here and your pen tweet is uh you know let me put this myth to bed i'm a liberal i'm a registered democrat i didn't vote for trump in 2016 or 20 uh 2024 or or 2020 probably even vote for him in 2024 i'm a liberal that hates sjw's then these are my politics so i find that interesting because as a um because, like, as creative and someone who has also written uh, things somewhat, I've tended to notice that there seems to be, like, a lot of... I mean, the vast majority of stuff in Hollywood is just SJW cringe. It's insanely obvious. And I'm wondering, um, as a um, author, do you notice that more? Or, like, what is your view on that sort of like political identity politics stuff, like in the creative process. I don't know if that's, I absolutely absolutely hate it. I hate ID politics. I hate SJWs. I hate all of this BLM stuff. I can't stand it. I hate Antifa. I wish they would drop off the face of the earth. Just God, I hate all these people. This is the thing. It's like the only reason I even say I'm a liberal is because I'm, I hate paleo cons enough. bracket of the as those people you know like the um who's a good example like pat robertson and jerry falwell and i hate those people yeah you know, just like they make that's what most people think conservative is i guess on a social st- i guess i mean i'm still a liberal but i'm more like left libertarian than anything that's what you know take care of the sick and the poor and the hungry and leave me alone otherwise is what i really think but you know i hate this call out culture and them bothering everybody and people just throwing these fits and that i saw that thing with those girls were telling the white guys to get out of the arizona whatever the multicultural um but that just that just irritates me and just like these people freaking out about trump got on my nerves and i was just like it's not that I, I never hated Trump. I'll put it that way. I didn't think he was great, but I didn't hate him either. And I really hate Biden. So maybe I am going to turn conservative in 2024 just to get rid of that old prick. I'm so sick of Biden already. You, but 
it's like like mentally and my belief system is liberal but the left has as a whole gone so 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 insane yeah it's like i i can't vote for that and i haven't you know i haven't voted for them at all and i refuse to i mean i can't... So it's almost like it's almost like i'm a democrat for yeah i mean i mean i would kind of consider myself like a, a conservatarian like i'm registered re- republican but i'm not like far right either but like in terms of the creative process like the one thing that like really bugs me is like how like all these franchises like the matrix for example like i know that the director like you know came out of, as trans recently but um you know but like the the Wachowskis like try to retcon the Matrix and say it's like a trans alleg- allegory when it's, no, it's not. when it's not and and I and I'm like and I'm like why are you like trying to change your creative you know projects for like political points it doesn't like like entertainment should be the one thing that like is non-political yet they've somehow managed to make everything political now it just it annoys the the hell out of me personally i mean it's always been like that because you know even back to like the 30s and 40s and probably before even before that in the 20s you know the soviets or whatever you want to call them at that point in time they were pumping so much money into hollywood it was insane like you know, you had that Actors Guild or whatever, which is just straight up commie that was, you know, shoving out communist films and stuff back then. You know, that caused all that McCarthy stuff that happened, you know, the McCarthy hearings and all of that back in, I guess, the 50s or 40s or whenever that took place during the Red Scare. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's always been kind of, you know, that's just how it is because, you know, it's right there on the West Coast and, you know, that's just you know i think create creative people in general most of them not all but a lot of people that are creative or tend to be liberal to begin with or at least you know left-leaning to begin with because they're more open to you know ideas and less closed off or whatever i know jordan peterson talks about that but i don't know if he's full of it or not but that's my answer to that but you know so there's a bedrock that you're gonna probably be somewhat liberal if you are you know a creative person you know, because you'll be in the arts instead of something more, you know, concrete that would make money for sure, which I think is what conservatives are more like. They'd rather go to work and actually make some money versus us to kind of try to get money and fail at it. Um, but the point is, yeah, it's always been around. This comedy stuff has always been around with Hollywood. You know, there's a video by Razor Fist on youtube that's called uh hollywood was always red and that's a it's like 40 minutes long but it's really well researched and well put out there so i highly recommend you take a look at that if you want to know they keep retconning stuff i guess because the matrix hasn't been like like relevant at all since like the 90s probably i guess they're might be wanting to bring out a reboot or maybe she, you know, ran out of money and wants attention to do something else or I don't know, but you know, they usually set up this sort of nonsense when they're trying to push something soon, but like, well, now we're going to have like a matrix reboot with like a female Neo or something. I don't know. Just 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, they, I mean, they've got Matrix Four, which you know, like we'll, we'll see that that's supposed to come out around Christmas. Um, but then also like them trying to to like retcon James Bond to be like more like you oh, know God. in like in like the meets who are like I'm I'm hoping I'm hoping that the new movie isn't as isn't you know full of SJW stuff. The trailers look pretty good, but I'm just like know your know your audience. Like I'm sorry, but like the target demographic for James Bond is like you know basically like straight males and yeah. like and like there there's no there's no reason to like change that like if if you want your you know sjw like uh type of person then like go create that yourself like i have no problem with that it's when these sjws like hijack other like established franchises to put their uh stuff in which... Okay, so I got a little bit of a conspiracy theory about No Time to Die because I know that's what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I really, th- I really think that they always end every Bond actor's tenure with their worst movie somehow. They always do it every single time, except for Timothy Dalton, which I've heard License to Kill is actually better than The Living Daylights. But if you really think about it, Connery ended with well, if you want to say Never Say Never Again, but most people don't. Um, Diamonds Are Forever is supposed to be like his worst one, like period. And then Morris ended with A View to a Kill, which a lot of people hated. And then you had, you know, what's his name? Brosnan ended with Die Another Day, and Craig's going to end with, you know, uh, No Time to Die. And you just, they always like leave. I think they almost like make like the worst Bond movie for like the last film the actor's going to do so that everybody be like oh god that was awful please change it and then they won't have backlash from getting rid of that current bond actor and lazenby doesn't really count because he only got one movie so yeah and i mean that that's a good point and i mean the thing with timothy dalton because i'm actually one of the people that loves timothy dalton as bond and i think he, he was great yeah and he well the thing was he he was supposed to get like a third bond movie but because of but, like, I guess the studio has gotten, like, some sort of lawsuit and whatnot. So, by the time, um, and then by the time they got, like, out of a lawsuit, like, he had moved on to, like, other stuff. And that's when they got uh, Brosnan, who, you know, as a 90s kid, I, uh, you know, I'm the soft spot for uh, Pierce uh, myself. But yeah, just. The the fact too that like all these SJWs are saying like Bond has always been sexist. It's like, sure, you might be able to say that for like the Conrad, but like they have like modernized Bond more, more. Yeah, you know, and it's like, but now they're just trying to go completely off the the rail. So. Well, you got to think about it. I mean, James Bond was written in the fifties. Like you know, the novels were written in the nineteen fifties. Yeah, you know they like. This is stuff that's like, you know, 1950s British sort of fiction that is being adapted to the screen. You know, like I think, well, I mean, Tomorrow Never Dies and most of, pretty much all of the stuff that Brosnan did were not books. And I think that they kind of brought that back. Is Quantum of Solace a novel? I can't remember if that was a novel or not. Quantum of, I know Skyfall isn't. Quantum of Solace was a collection of short stories, if okay. I remember correctly. 
Yeah, and I know that Casino Royale was the first Bond novel, period. That was like the, the first one ever, which I always thought was kind of strange why they started with Dr. No instead of, you know, Casino Royale for opening Bond, even though he did start in a casino with the first scene. But, and I have a soft place for Dr. No. I know people, you know, think that it's kind of generic or whatever, but I think when I think generic, I'm thinking more like Man with the Golden Gun which is kind of a slog for me where Bond kills one person the entire movie. I'm like, oh my God, seriously. I, you know, but... I mean, I kind of, I like Roger Moore, but there is a point at which the Bond movies just become like overly campy, uh, you know, and, and during his tenure. Um, yeah. But um, I would say, I would, I would say it's Brosnan, then Connery, then Moore, and then, Dalton and then Craig at the bottom. And I don't know. I haven't watched on your majesty secret service yet, but um, I guess he'll be at the bottom, but I just don't like any of the Craig movies. I just can't get into them. I don't know. It's just, maybe he just doesn't look, I love Daniel Craig as an actor. Cause he did like some great stuff outside of bond. And I don't think he's a bad actor as bond, but I just don't believe that he is bond when I'm watching him. I feel like he's just a modern action hero, just sort of like a Jason Bourne or something like he doesn't, give me that bond sort of feeling like i got with pierce brosnan or um you know roger moore connery or whatever i feel like i'm watching a completely different character with you know daniel craig yeah i mean casino royale is is like is a masterpiece kind of in and of itself like and it's fine like kind of as like a bond origin story but like the fact that like they they haven't really gotten rid of the they ha, they haven't really had like many of the gadgets in, you know Craig's tenure. They haven't had like that many Bond girls, so to speak, either. Like, you know, like you said, like they they pretty much made Craig into Jason Bourne, uh, you know, and and that and you know that's not like Bond is supposed to be fun, somewhat. Yeah, and, and you know. Craig's movie's like, yeah, I get that we're living in, like, the post-9-11 era, but, like, you know, still, like, like, Bond movies are supposed to be fun somewhat. They're not supposed to be, like, too super serious, I guess, so. But. Yeah, my hot take on that, though, is I think, I really think To Die Another Day is overly hated, honestly. I really... It's stupid, and it has some really bad CGI and spots, but, I mean, like, people say, oh, it's stupid, and it's just, like, you know, it's an awful movie. I'm like, have you seen any of the Roger Moore movies? I mean, Moonraker, I mean, or Octopussy, A View to a Kill, those weren't goofy-ass movies. Like, dropping Blofeld down a smokestack where he says, Mr. Bone, smash. Yeah, have yeah, and then having that like that that redneck character that was like yeah, J W Pepper and all that. Yeah, right, right, yeah, stuff stuff like that, you know, and I mean, yeah, so I mean, you know, but you know, like camp has its place too, and you know, I think, uh, you know, I think that's that's something that like Hollywood movies just these days, just in general, don't do well like everything has to be a virtue signal of some kind and it it gets annoying so um so we have a few people in the chat who want to know what your uh what's your favorite project out of everything you've done so far 
a toss up between the Snow White Murders and Unreal Morningstar and uh, Dreamer. Those are like my top three of all of them in any order. They just sort of like my all of my books kind of shift ranking in my head. You know, every so often, like some books will go up and down of which one's my favorite or least favorite. But I think out of my my top three that stay stay in the top or like I said, under a morning star, the Snow White Murders and Dreamer are like my favorite three that really never get near the bad tier of my stuff. And are and are your books um are your books like a series or are they like standalone novels? Or have you done they're, both? They're all they're all standalone that take place in the same universe. Oh, it, oh, interesting. So it's like its own combined universe, sort of like you know Spider Man and the X Men are in their own universe, and they have crossovers and callbacks to each other, but they're not the same series. You know, Spider Man is his own thing, and X Men is his own thing, and they you know have their crossovers, like I said, but you know they're not the same series you know chronologically they're not right so um, sort of thing it's like a marvel universe is what my thing is and it has all sorts of heroes and villains and storylines and craziness going on and all of that so when when you write uh when you write something are you able to uh i guess read your work as like a reader or or something, or uh, I don't know if that makes sense. Like for me, I can't write, I can't read any of my uh, stuff like as like a casual reader. I'm always in like author. I'm always in author yeah. mode. Like if I read my own work, but I know some people can objectively read. That, that comes with time. Is I don't know when you published your stuff, but. To me, like, I think that if you're away from your book and you forget about your book and you give it like a year, like on the shelf where you don't look at it at all, like you can come back as like a fresh reader at that point. You still remember the endings and stuff, but you really will forget like the prose and like the, you know, small scenes and details. You forget a lot of that once you write other books, because, you know, I really forgot about Condemned and the, you know, a lot of these other audiobooks because we're putting everything in audible now and i have to review the tapes and i'm listening back and i feel like i'm listening to someone else's story now but it's been over a year since i even saw these stories at all so i really don't remember them at all but you have to have a lot of distance so you can finally that's why they say when you first do your first draft you should leave it alone for six weeks so you can come back as a fresh reader which i don't agree with i don't i think six weeks is way too long just you know you should strike while the iron is hot and while the motivation is there and then, you know, deal with it later. But yeah, I mean, you got editors and you got all these other people that, you know, go through it anyway with you. So, you know, I basically, I've basically at the end of every book, I hate the book. I hate every book I've written right when I release it. I hate this book. I don't ever want to look at it again. But then about a year or two later, I hear it on like the audible version. I'm like, oh my God, I actually wrote that. That's really good. You know, that's, that was a, a lot better than I remember actually. Yeah. Yeah. I've, 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 ha- I've had that. I've had that happen too. I've, I've also, uh, I published like, I self-published a short story like a few years ago and I, I did it like, I actually did it kind of like as a joke kind of because one of my friends was, 
was uh, writing, like, a novel, too, and I, I was kind of like, oh, yeah, well, I'll, well, I'll write one, too, and, like, I'll, you know, I bet I'm going to, uh, you know, sell more copies than you, and I actually, I actually did kind of without even trying, but then, like, you know, later on, like, I was kind of like, holy, you know, holy crap, like, I actually wrote and published something. So, kind of looking at the future, like, what are your plans for the future? Are you going to write more? Have you been, like, writing more material? Or are you focusing more on the podcast? What, Where is your focus in the future going to be, do you think? focus right now is probably more on the podcast because I've written 11 books total. And, you know, I think, like, I had uh, my latest book called K is Away. It actually went to number one about five days ago. And, um, you know, it's been out for about a month, but it finally did, you know, just had like one of those sparks and I looked at the rankings and it sold about 300 copies in a day and that shot it up to number one in its category. So I'm proud of that. But at the same time, it's sort of like, I'm almost sick of like the marketing side of it. I just kind of want to do the podcast because I feel like that's easier. It's more consumable. And, you know, it has that format, which has something for everyone with the opening being me giving the insights, like you were talking about that you enjoyed that. And then, you know, you listen to the thing, I'm sure. So to explain to the audience what the podcast format is and why it's more appealing to me, at least is, you know, you have the opening where I do the entire sort of monologue about, you know, writing the life and all of that stuff. And then, I go into like the second thing is where you hear a new chapter of one of my audio books every week. So it's like each season, like season one is um, condemned. Season two was a dramatized version of ghost writer. Season three is going to be bring me a dream on and on. And then like the last uh, final segment is reviewing are you afraid of the dark episodes sequentially. Like I'm starting with started with episode one of season one and just go forward chronologically, you know, through all the good and bad ones and, give my perspective on it as a horror author and a horror fan, you know, so it's kind of unique, but I like that a lot. I find it a lot more enjoyable to make this project because, you know, writing can be one of the most wonderful, you know, processes of all time, but can also be the biggest headache and writer's block and publishing deadlines. And, you know, just try marketing is like the worst thing on earth. I hate it. And I never want to do it again. If I can help it. I literally, have decided because I own the rights to the books and I actually, you know, bought out all the rights to all my books and started my own publishing company. So I can do whatever I want with them. Now, after I got out of the contract um, with the previous publisher. So after all that was settled, I decided, you know what, I'm just going to go find some website and just dump these things on there and give them away for free because I'm losing money selling them. Yeah, I mean that that is you know that that is something that like uh you know I've definitely noticed too like a lot of like you know like unless you're like extremely you know unless you're like a Tom Clancy kind of you know in yeah. my genre so to speak um you know you're not going to make that much money it's actually kind of surprising people think that they can write and they'll just become rich overnight but that's not the uh case no you're more likely to go straight into debt and never get out of it so 
Yeah, it's uh, it's it's very challenging, uh, you know, endeavor. But I mean, you you've done it, and um, you know, so props to you. That's that's more than most people have done, and um, so yeah. Now you're trying to uh, now you're trying to tackle the podcast world, which is uh, you know, that that's always fun. Um. Do you think you're going to continue with your current format, or uh, I know you mentioned you're kind of doing something new for Halloween? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm planning. I don't know what I'm going to do at this point because <laughs> I'm scared if I change the podcast format again, it's going to just sink it, it's just tank the audience again. But um, I just I, I've questioned myself a lot, wondering if I should just go to more of a you know mainstream commercial horror thing or or actually keep giving people insight to the author world and talk about different publishing topics and book topics and all that or try to start like an alfred hitchcock presents or twilight zone sort of format i don't know what i'm going to do yet but you know we're just really still in the experimental phase because it's only up to like episode 21 now so there's lots of you know room to work with this and see as the audience grows or it doesn't grow but as you see i'm on another podcast or doing all these but um you know trying to get to as many shows and um talk to as many people as possible just to sort of experience what their formats are and what works for them and you know just try to contribute something to the shows of course but yeah i mean i like the format and i'm going to probably keep it for at least another season i'm sure and um we'll see what happens in season four though but you know which which will be you know because season three is coming up and i don't have any need to stop right now doing the current format but it will change eventually if i run out of stuff to talk about in the publishing world i guess yeah i mean i mean kind of like my two cents because i've been doing podcasting since i was 14 and uh, i'm 26 now And, uh, you know, so, like, I focused primarily kind of, like, on politics for the first few years, but then, like, about five years ago, like, I I kind of rebranded my show, and it still focuses on politics somewhat, but it's more of a mashup of, uh, you know, pop culture and politics and just kind of, like, general conversations and interviews like this. So, I mean, I just generally think that, you know, just kind of do what just kind of do what you feel is you know works best for you and if the audience and if you have a good audience and if the audience likes you i know it's a little harder to kind of gauge that on uh you know on the podcast platforms but they kind of follow the host uh irregardless is what i've noticed so yeah uh, you know i think if you can get a good audience that always helps so um all right, well, I know that we're running kind of close on uh, your time, so anything else you would like to plug here uh, quickly? Or, um... uh, just go to terratracks.com. That's T-R-A-X for tracks, not T-R-A-C-K-S. Terratracks.com slash listen, and it'll give you links to my social media and where you can listen to the podcast. And that's about it. And your and your books, are, are your books listed there as well, or... Uh... Yeah, you just go to that uh, link in the top. There's a button that says support the show, and that'll take you to where, you know, you have a list of, like, the Patreon and read my books and all of that, so. Okay, uh, awesome, then. It'll, well, just take you to, it'll just take you to a separate menu, so. 
Cool, cool then. Well, I will be sure to uh, check it out myself and encourage the audience to do that. And uh, thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. And uh, feel free to come back on anytime. Yeah, so. thanks for having me on, man. Y'all, y'all, everybody have a good night. See you later. You too. Thank you for coming on. You're welcome. See y'all later. Bye. All right, ladies and gentlemen, and that is Mr. Jack Pierce, and you can follow him on Twitter at Jack Pierce Books, uh, and the link for his uh, Twitter is in the description below of the uh, YouTube live stream, and I'll have his website linked in the podcast and video archive uh, description as well. Um always good to have a guest on and thank you to uh apex gamma for kind of setting uh that up or i guess uh you know turning me on to, to jack so i really appreciate that uh kind of going through the chat real quick um yes i know you can hear him at the beginning but uh that was an OBS uh, thing. I had to change the setting back. Um, wrenches in the chat goes, least believable thing in a Bond flick, Denise Richards as a scientist. Well, let, let's, let's be honest, Wrenches. I mean, no one was really... They had, they had to... They had to give her something to do. I don't think people really cared... Uh, that Denise Richards was, was believable. I think they just cared that Denise Richards was in a Bond movie. Uh, and that was before Charlie Sheen ruined her, too. So, um, you know, so there is that. Uh, but anyway, hold on here just a sec. I've got to turn on fix something here with uh, OBS and Discord. Um, okay, so I think that is fixed and we had a bit of uh, feedback there from Discord, at least on my end. Um, so, um, let's see here, folks. Uh, boy, Arizona, huh? There's, uh, there's been a bunch, uh, regarding that. Uh, and I had an article pulled up. Oh, here it is. Uh, yeah. Okay, so, uh, yeah, let's talk uh, Arizona because, uh, you know, the, the, t- the 2020 election stuff, that just won't go away now, huh? So, let me pull this up here. Um... And 
Alright. And, um, let's see here. Alright, let me maximize this. Alrighty, uh, so, headline from Breitbart.com, uh, Arizona Senate report on the Maricopa County election audit highlights 49,000 questionable votes, asks AG to investigate. Um, the report of... Maricopa County uh, forensic audit of the 2020 election released at a public hearing of the Arizona Senate chaired by Senate President Karen Finn and Judiciary Committee Chairman Senator Warren Peterson on Friday identified a number of significant election irregularities discovered during the the audit. Uh, So in other words... This thing is looking like it was stolen, folks. But uh, let's dive down here more. Um, okay. Out of 3.0 million votes cast in Arizona in the November 3rd, 2020 presidential election, about 2.1 million were cast in Maricopa County. Of these, a little more than 1.9 million were early votes, either cast by mail or deposited in drop boxes. Uh, Joe Biden was certified as the winner of Arizona's 11 electoral college votes over former President Donald Trump by Secretary of State uh, Kate Hobbs and Governor Doug Ducey on November 30th, 2020 by a margin of 10,457 votes. According to those certified results, Biden received 1,672,143 votes in the state, while Trump received 1,661,686 votes. And, uh, let's see. The audit included a full-hand recount of all 2.1 million ballots from the 2020 general election. The report, the Maricopa County Forensic Audit, Volume 3, result details began. At the presidential ballot level, the report found very little different difference between the results of the offhand uh, recount of the presidential race of the Maricopa County Forensic Audit and the official Maricopa County canvases. Of the two hundred of the of two million uh, eighty nine five hundred and sixty three votes counted in the official. Uh, Maricopa County canvas of the November 3rd, 2020 election, 1,040,774 votes were cast for Joe Biden and 
665 votes were cast for Donald Trump, a margin for Biden in the county of 45,109. Uh, okay, blah, blah, more, more stuff. Long story short, uh, they have claimed that there is... They have claimed these results confirmed Biden won Arizona. As Breitbart News published, as Breitbart News reported, a draft of the executive summary dated September 23rd was leaked early Friday morning and established media outlets focused on the statement in that leaked draft that, quote, there were no substantial differences between the hand count of the ballots provided and the official canvas results for the county. Uh, okay. There's a link to the official thing here. And, uh, okay. The results of the odd, however, actually raise more doubts about the legitimacy of more than 49,000 votes included in the final counts of both the forensic audit and the Maricopa County official canvas results, a number that is more than four times greater than Biden's 10,457-vote-certified margin of victory. Of, of these, more than 2 million votes counted, the report also stated the results of the audit found that there were questions about 49,718 of these votes that had a critical high or medium potential impact the founding may have had on the election. Let's see. So, uh, okay. The audit broke the election into four phases, voter history, paper ballots, voting machines, and the certified results. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so again, uh, more, more details, more jargon. Okay, folks, here's the critical piece. Mm-mm. Here's a breakdown of those four hundred and of those forty nine thousand seven hundred and eighteen question votes. Point number one: twenty three thousand three hundred and thirty four mail in ballots were counted from individuals who no longer lived at the address to which the mail in ballot was sent. The audit called these mail in ballots. All these mail-in ballots voted from prior address in the voter history phase. Well, gee, that's not fishy at all. Uh, 5,295 voters that potentially voted in multiple counties in the, in the certified results phase. 3,432 3, more ballots cast than the list of people who show us having cast a vote. The audit called this group of ballots official results 
does not match who voted in the certified results phase. 2,592 2, more duplicates than original ballots in the ballot box. 2,382 in-person voters who had moved out of Maricopa County in the certified results phase. 2,081 voters moved out of state during the 29-day preceding election in the voter history phase. 1,551 votes counted in excess of voters who voted in certified results phase. Uh, an additional 3,587 votes were in the low impact category across 14 findings. Uh, blah, blah, blah. So there's a bunch more on the hearing. There's a bunch more on the audit. So long story short, ladies and gentlemen, it is looking like at this point, ladies and gentlemen, that the, uh, I would say, the, I mean, the election was stolen pretty clearly. Uh, we were proven right once again by uh, Arizona. And what's, and what's crazy is Reddit is now basically deleting any posts regarding the uh, Arizona audit. But this kind of proves once again that, you know, we were right in that the election is stolen. Um, now, does that mean that Trump is going to go, is going to get back into office? Uh, unfortunately not, because that's not how things are, uh, really going these days. And, uh, you know, even if it was somehow decided that Trump did win the election now, there's no way to get him into back into office at this point in the game. Um, I don't think that's ever been, been done before. We we've never had that happen in, in American history. Uh, what that would prove is that the election clearly was rigged, and hopefully it would wake more people up to the fact that yes, elections can be. Uh, rigged and hopefully that would cause a massive swell for the Republicans in 2024 and also in the upcoming uh, Senate elections and some of the governor elections and uh, so yeah Basically, when it comes to the uh, Arizona recount, we were we were proven right once again, folks. So, uh, you know, it wasn't really. It was one of those things where, like, you know, I was kind of surprised, but not shocked either. So. So yeah, that there was clear fraud in. Uh, you know, it's a 2020 election, and uh, Trump should have 
it seemed like Trump should have won easily, or at least, you know, the election should, Arizona should have been, you know, recounted more. And Trump, and Trump could have won the election if he had taken Arizona, quite possibly. So, all right. And, uh... Speaking of political crazies out there, uh, I guess Troy Chris is running for uh, governor against Ron DeSantis again in Florida. Even though Troy Chris was governor before, once as a Republican, he uh, switched to, you know, being a Democrat when I first moved here. And uh, tried to run against Rick Scott, failed. Now he's uh, running against Ron DeSantis, and uh, you know he's not even trying to hide to hide uh, that he's you know pretty far to the left. Now I mean he was always saying that he was moderate beforehand, but uh, polling sucks. Let me see if I can pull this up here. Why am I getting Ethan Ralph in my Twitter search results? You. All right. So. Um, so as officially happened, ladies and gentlemen, um, let me see if I can pull this up. Up a sec here. Oh. Yeah, I'm try. I'm trying to uh, get this Twitter video to uh, show up here, but it's not wanting to. Do its thing quite yet, but hold on here. Okay. So So this is uh, Charlie Crist, the former governor of Florida, who is now rerunning for Florida as a Democrat. And I'll turn the audio up on this. Um, 
Well, it's important that you took the time to contribute, and I'm impressed. So, let me let me start you. this. Oh, he's unbelievable, isn't he? It's amazing. I know, I know. Well, I'm very impressed that you're taking time to sit down and, and make phone calls. So, well, it's um, important that you took the time to contribute, and I'm impressed. So <laughs> we're both impressed with each other. Yeah. We need new leadership desperately here in Florida. Tell me about it. We sure do, and I know we deserve it. And um, that's yeah. why I'm so grateful for your contribution. and your activism and uh it really means the world it really does Sandy. thank you very very much this is uh one of the cringiest i mean this isn't one of the this isn't cringy uh you know like ethan ralph bad but it, it's still pretty cringy this whole thing was staged and uh you know, Charlie Crist, who was pretending he was originally a moderate, uh, has a big old Obama poster, like, you know, right up here, uh, you know, in his background of his office or, uh, apartment. And by the way, lady, he's not, a, he's not a new leader. He's been governor before. Uh, so, Yeah. Very forced conversation. Let me just say that it's uh, it's it's wild, to say the least. Um, so yeah, the uh, you know things are ramping up here in Florida, and the Democrats are going to be going after uh, DeSantis as well. I mean, they already are, but it's coming up. Folks, so, uh, you know, be sure to, uh, support DeSantis if you can. And I will remind people here that we don't have any, ma that we don't have any, like, mandatory mask mandates here, uh, when it comes to the government. Uh, if you want to get the vaccine, you can, but it's not mandated here either. We were one of the first states to... Uh, reopen after the lockdown and stay uh, open. You know, there, there aren't any threats to, uh, you know, lockdown in, anytime soon. Uh, and our COVID numbers, most importantly, really haven't uh, gone up uh, since reopening, despite what the media would like people to think so uh you know we, we've done pretty good here in florida and we aim to keep it that way so uh let me let me check something here real quick i think apex might be trying to uh message me real quick on discord but i'm not sure so hold on Oh, no, that was someone else. Alright. Um, speaking of coronavirus, um, I did have this on 
the dog, but someone mentioned uh, Project Veritas and uh, kind of the, uh, they released a new video this week of uh, basically the CDC admitting that they wanted to force vaccinate people. Um, so let me pull that up real quick here. Okay, let's see. Is it even up or did they take this one down too? Alright, let's let's see here. Okay. This is what I this is what uh has been lots of views. So uh basically one of the Project Veritas reporters basically went un undercover and got an FDA official to admit that they want to uh you know, blow dart African Amer Americans for lack of a better term. Um, so, let me, uh, let me cue this up and we'll react to it and hopefully this stream doesn't get taken down as a result, but we shall see. Um, at any rate, I will be uploading this episode to Odyssey as always, so no worries there. Account for about All right, let me start this over. blow darts of J and J and go to the unvaccinated and blow it into them, blow dart it into them. I remember reading about how with how deception propaganda, a new book by James O'Keefe. Pre order now at AmericanMuckraker.com. Get blow darts of J and J and go to the unvaccinated and blow it into them, blow dart it into them. I remember reading about how with COVID trials, they were having an issue recruiting African-American people. I can't blame them. I can't, but at the same time, like, blow dart. It's where we're going. There needs to be a registry of the people who aren't vaccinated. Although that's sounding very Germany. The Germany that you're thinking of, is it? Nazi Germany. I mean, think about it like the Jewish stuff. He looks like the FDA or something. Yeah. So Again. So in order. Low dark. <laughs> it is the perfect answer. <laughs> and since J&J is an mRNA, you have no issue of it counteracting with anything else. So again, you just shoot everyone. Drones. Drone darts. Easy. Well, how do we reach the minority populations? Blow darts is always the answer. Yes. I will cheers to that. Yes, cheers. And the people who are like, oh, the vaccine's terrible, the Antichrist, are like, yes, our savior, Nicky. <laughs> so if they start handing out vaccines, I'm going to go door to door and stab everyone. Oh, it's just your booster shot. Stick your arm out. Exactly. What's that? Oh, it's just a vitamin C shot. Again, if you're an undercover journalist, you can't quote me. Again, if you're an undercover journalist, you can't quote me. Well, you just got well, exposed. So, uh, yeah, they have this flamboyant uh, 
you know, individual, just telling, just saying, jokingly or not, saying that people should be, uh, you know, blow darted with vaccines, uh, you know, you might say, oh, well, he's just joking. Well, no, that's what these people literally think some of them. We should just uh, blow dart everyone. So, yeah, very telling. Um, you know, that's not. It's weird. I just show you the people who aren't vaccinated. That's sounding very Germany. I'm going to go door to door and stab everyone. Oh, it's just your booster shop. She didn't want to take it because of her religious beliefs. She was coerced into taking it. They are not reported because they want to show it on the, the map. So they're testing on the white people now. How do we reach the minority population? Slow darts is probably still our most peaceful option. Slow darts is always the answer. Yes. Cheers for that. Yes. Yeah, I remember reading about how with COVID trials, they were having an issue recruiting African-American people, and it was because of a different medication the government tried to do that was specifically designed to kill African-Americans. Oh, so like mistrust them. Yeah. But so this thing's safe, though. And we know that now, yeah. but like, again, I think there is still this big mistrust in, like, it's deep-rooted in... Yeah. Can't blame them. I can't, but at the same time, like, low dart. It's where we're going. Yeah. I mean, my personal thing is, like, you know, you get blow darts of J&J, and... Again, I... I'm a little cynical. blow darts of J&J? Yeah, Johnson Johnson. What do you mean? Like, go to the unvaccinated, blow it into them, blow dart it into them. Yeah. That's, that's where I am at this point. How do we reach the minority populations? Is there a way to do it? I want to get back to normal. I'm sure there is. I'm not the person to answer it, though, mm. other than blow darts. Because <laughs> I think that is a great solution. <laughs> well, the problem with that is uh, African-Americans, they might think that it's like almost like a callback to like getting shot by like the... It's fine. We'll slave. go for the whites first. Oh, there you go. We'll post like video campaigns about doing it to the whites first, and then they Perfect. can't call it. Then they can't say it's racist. Exactly. Because it, again, it, it, it almost harkens back to like the photo yeah, exactly. being shot in Africa by a blow dart and then yeah. put in a. We'll have to hire some Amazonians first. Yes. Because like they'll get it done. How good are you at blowing darts? <laughs> Want to see how fast to get an Amazon rainforest tribe out here? Yeah, but I mean, the undocumented immigration isn't much of an issue as like a lot of people make it out. I think the issue again is I'm sure this guy is good at blowing uh, you know other things too just putting that out there but yeah I mean people might say oh well this guy is just being hyperbolic he's just being flamboyant but no deep down you know this is what these people think they want they want to force the jab because it's that it's not about the vaccine itself. It's about control. Ladies and gentlemen, that 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 is what it has been the entire time. So yeah. 
if it's a large population of people who are going to choose not to get vaccinated because they don't want to admit that they're, they are undocumented, again, you're going to create this issue where it's, you got the anti-vaxxers and the people who are choosing not to for that reason, and then you have the vaccine. Again, the obvious answer is blood marks. If we just stick everyone again with the J&J &J to make sure that everyone's got something, we're good. I know there's enough to go around, so I mean, it's just how to, it's so, again, so in order. Low guard. <laughs> it is the perfect answer. <laughs> and since J&J &J is an mRNA, you have no issue of it counteracting with anything else. So again, you just shoot everyone. I don't know what kind of technology we have right now, like miniature sort of blow darts or anything like that. Something like drones. Drone darts. Easy. The white, uneducated, like... It's like all of the colloquial people that we see in like Alabama and all this, and it's like... Apparently you need an IQ test, and if you fail below a certain level of IQ, you're getting a shot. That's a good idea. <laughs> that would probably put a lot of shots in arms. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Hey, how feasible is that, though? That's less feasible than the blow darts. <laughs> I think the blow darts are probably still our most feasible option. All right, cool. And like, the funding's there. It's easy to do. Blow darts. It's all we need. Done. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> it's terrible, but at this point I'm like, I don't care about your bodily autonomy. Because it's not just your bodily autonomy that you're putting in. I don't care about your body autumnally. And again, if the vaccine is so effective, why does everyone need to take it? The vaccine should protect you. I shouldn't have to take it for the vaccine to be effective for you. But again, if this guy admitted it, screw your body autonomy. I don't care about it. And these are the same people who always complain, oh, the pro-lifers, they, you know, uh, they want to mess with your body autonomy. That's why he said, uh, like, back over the summer, don't talk to me about, uh, you know, pro-choice. Uh, my, my body autonomy, if you're going to, uh, you know, force me to get the jab. And don't say, oh, they're two different things. No, they're, they're the, you know. One is a vaccine, or not even a vaccine. One is uh, gene therapy that alters your DNA. And the other affects another human being, a, a baby. You know, so where does that, uh, child get their their autonomy from no one no no one is thinking of their body autonomy but anyway continuing on jeopardy you see any of that stuff going on with uh like uh, what's her name uh, Nicki Minaj I mean I, I just don't understand why she's opening up her mouth and, and causing more harm. Well, see, the issue is that 
like I just said, we look at it as harm because we think, and like I think most educated people would think, the vaccine is a good thing. Whereas, you know, on the other side of the coin, the people who are like, oh, the vaccine's terrible, the Antichrist, are like, yes, our savior, <laughs> So my, my dad doesn't know anything. So I, 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 not on your, on, my problems with him were not on your level, but my problems with him were like, um, he's anti-vax. Okay. He's, um... So we need a blow dart to go visit him. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. So. Hey, Dad, stick your arm out. Exactly. What's that? Oh, it's just a vitamin C shot. Exactly. <laughs> In my opinion, fitness industry dealing with this, like, you have to force it door to door. Yeah. What are the chances of that happening? I mean, census goes door to door if you don't respond. So, we have the infrastructure to do it. Cost a ton of money, yeah. but I think at that point there needs to be a registry of the people who aren't vaccinated. Although that's sounding very Germany at the same point. We have the resources to go to door to door and force the vaccine. We have the money to do it, and we need a registry of all non-vaccinated people. It is sounding very Nazi Germany at this point, but let's do it anyway. Right? Again, this is... This is all about control. This is the narrative at this point. It, it's, it's all out there in the open now, folks. Biden's admitting it, this little gay uh, faggot is admitting it. It's it's all out there. I mean, we have to get back to normal. So. I agree. It's hard. Yeah. Because I don't think there is, a, again, like I said before with other things, I don't think there's a good choice there isn't a black or white choice there's only gray choices because the black or white isn't feasible yeah i'm at the level where i'm like i agree i'm also there but what i think and what the government will actually do are very different Mm. yeah because if they start handing out vaccines i'm gonna go door to door and stab everyone oh it's just your booster shot there you go there you go I'm not a trained licensed professional, it's fine. I mean, you could, you could tell them it's like a flu shot or something. It's a monthly... I mean, I'm sure they don't take that either. So the death rate's gone down. It's... This is the one thing that I hate about statistics is, you know, sometimes you can play with them in the way that you want to show the information. Because um, you can definitely do that, you know. If you let COVID kill off everyone over 60, let's say everyone under that age is going to have an easier recovery period for the most part. So the death rate would obviously go down. It's like, oh, we're doing a great job. Death rate's down. But it's like, okay, you've killed off like 400 million people. 
It's all that Fifty Shades of Grey with this guy, says Bruce City Sim. More like Fifty Shades of Gay. Am I right? Am I right? Uh, also, uh, I, I repositioned my camera because, yes, I did realize that I was out of frame. Um, let me... Hold on here. I can... I can... I can fix this. I can totally fix this. Alright, yeah, I'm, I am almost falling off the edge of the screen, but, look, I'm no longer falling off the edge of the, edge of the screen. I, I, I could cover this guy's face, actually, if I wanted to. Um, okay, okay, yeah, I know, um, the graphics are a bit wonky, but, uh, yeah, also, um, yes, I mean, I'm, I'm, honestly, at this point, dude, I, I'm surprised I haven't gotten popped for, uh, other stuff. I mean, I've, I've got, I can upload this to Odyssey. Um, so, which I'm going to do anyway, but, um, yeah, if, if I get, if I get popped for this, uh, then I get popped. So, Um, feel like dongs are so free. Light dongs are so free. Yeah, well, this guy definitely belongs to that FDA. Hmm. And again, that's one of the things about statistics. It's like, oh, when you play around, sometimes you can find the thing to tell you what you want to tell you. Well, I just figured that it would be a no-brainer that they would push for the booster shots. Yeah, I'm... Again, I understand FDA's position because it was like, oh, yeah, they only they only produce the data for 65 and older with these booster shots, so they don't have the data to say, oh, yeah, it does the same thing for 20-year-olds. And it's like, okay, but do we think it's harmful for 20-year-olds to get a booster shot? This is my question to FDA, and it's like... They're like, they didn't provide enough data. And it's like, okay, I get it, but I don't at the same time. Hmm. But that's my personal opinion. Hmm. Again, if you're an undercover journalist, you can't quote me. Yeah. So this is the thing that's always like really crude as an economist. 
is we have a certain value that we put on each human life. And so when I think about, like, government mandates like that, I think about them in those terms, which you know is terrible because I think each human life is priceless oh, shoot. in itself, but yeah. like, okay, so if you give a million vaccines and two of them are blood clots, okay, you have a loss of $10 million about in your like government regulation type world framework. Because each, each life account for about $5 million. And again, it can range and all that stuff, but like, Okay, so if you can, if you give these million vaccines, you get everything back to normal. Are you making more than that ten million dollar loss, or are you not? And that's the way that like we're trying. Where is he get? Where is he getting the numbers for this? I I'm curious. Is this guy pulling? Phrasing. Is this guy pulling these numbers out of his ass? <laughs> Oh, jeez! I am uh, that that was not that was not intentional. That was not a gay joke. I'm just asking if he's pulling these numbers out of his ass because it seems like that is exactly what he's what he's doing. Five million dollars per person, really? I I thought. Is that is that how much they're budgeting for these vaccines? Seriously? To like try and think about these things in terms of cost benefit analysis, that type of stuff. Again, my own opinion is very different, but so you're trained, can you explain that in layman's terms better? Yeah, so like with our econ training, with like, when I learned how to do my job. Will they like ever play politics with like the science? Or... So, I would think that the general people there, so the people who are the actual scientists, no. But there are political appointees that are generally scientific advisors mm. who are appointed by the president or the commissioner. Mm. So they definitely do. Yeah. Because, you know, they're being paid based on if the other people are staying in power. Unfortunately, everyone ends up playing politics. But I don't think that the career scientists are. I think that it's the people that they're unfortunately having to report to because these political appointees are being put in place. And that's part of, like, the, the Senate confirms the people to then just pick their people. All right, so that was uh, so that was that. Um, now here's the thing with Project Veritas. I I played that video because uh, people have been uh, telling me that I should watch that video. That I should play on the show. So, um, you know, I decided to take a, take a look at it. It definitely proves what we've been saying all along about this, right? That I and basically anyone kind of within our sphere has been saying about this, that this 
isn't about protecting against a virus. It's all about propaganda. Right? Uh, with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, here's the thing. Um, Owen. Sorry about that. Click the wrong button there. By the way, shout out to uh, Bruce City for the fabulous uh, intro that plays every uh, night or every weekend when we do the show. Um, anyway, though. Back to my point. So, the video was interesting. But all it does is basically confirm what we've already known. The problem we have here, and this is a problem just with Project Veritas kind of in general over the last few years, is if I send this video to uh, normies, to my normie relatives, this isn't going to, to change their opinion, most likely. Uh, because James uh, O'Keefe and Project Veritas, like them or not, they've kind of been branded as a right, you know, as kind of like a right-wing activist thing. And so, that, I mean, I was going to put a tint on, uh, you know, whatever they put out there. And unless this guy was, uh, you know what I was saying? We don't mind killing grandma and killing people in order to get the, uh, you know, the vaccine through. Uh, unless it was something just like that blatantly damning. It's not going to, uh, you know, reach the noise. Which is, which is, who needs to be convinced at this point that the vax is bad? Right? We already know that the vax is causing problems for people. Now we just need to, uh, you know, try and reach more of our normie people out there. Um, so yeah, good video isn't going to be really effective. Not sure about that. Uh, Brucey also says, my aunt worked in the yard. ER. She confirms that gerbils in the butt really happens. Oh, I, uh, believe me, Bru, uh, I have a friend who works in, who works in the hosp hospital here in Florida, uh, near me as a phlebotomist, uh, and I don't think he does ER, but he said that he's seen he has seen some pretty uh, interesting stuff coming uh, into the hospital here in Florida. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that dribbles of the butt is uh, the least of uh, you know. I'm sure that's just one of the things that people see in hospitals here. Um. By the way, folks, uh, 
I don't really have too many other topics to cover tonight, but I do want to give some thoughts on the uh, Gabby tweet uh, uh, Petito thing. Um, which is... Um, Well, where to start with the where to start with the Gabby uh thing? Okay, first off, uh obviously it is tragic whenever anyone gets murdered uh like that. Especially the the fact that she was so young. Right? That's a tragedy and that is pretty obvious. Um, and my condolences to her family and her uh, friends, close relatives, all that. Um, however, and I was one of them at first, people, uh, seem to be already jud- rushing to judgment that the boyfriend, uh, murdered her. And that uh, you know he he did it automatically, so they've they've already kind of OJ'd him, and he hasn't even even been arrested, um, for stuff. And I I know that uh, you know people here, and I'm not always the biggest fan of him either, but uh, Mersh or Moish, uh, Moish to his credit, um did a stream the other night where he, uh, where he kind of, uh, you know, put up the counterpoint that, um, you know, she was, she was hitting him, supposedly, and she was doing some, uh, of too, and there's not a lot of solid events that he was the one who committed, uh, you know, the murder. It's kind of like what they're doing right now is doing the whole, uh, the boyfriend is the most obvious suspect. They're doing that routine, right? So that's kind of what's going on right now. Uh, Larry, uh, Larry says, Laundry took money out of her account after she was killed, right? Um, well, again, that is, I've heard conflicting stories on that. And see, this is another thing with the, uh, with the Petito, Petito with the, uh, Gabby Petito story. Uh, first things first, to be honest, I didn't even know that this was a news story, um, until... I didn't even know that this was a news story, really, up until um, last Sunday when they found her body. Um, so I didn't know that this, this that this was was a thing, and neither did Apex. A lot of people, I guess, didn't actually even know what this story was even about um, until they found her body. Right, so there's that. Then, 
there were changing narratives, like as to whether she was, you know, found. Like someone said, they thought they found her in like a Florida park somewhere, uh, and then I guess it was they found her in Utah, uh, and whatnot. So there have been there have just been a whole bunch of inconsistencies with this story. So that's those are a few things within it, in of itself. What I want to talk about, though, is uh, it doesn't have anything to do with the murder, per se. Um, there is there's a lot of stuff up in the air about that, and uh, that's a big kind of clusterfuck right now. Uh, with that being said, the oh oh it wasn't it it was in Wyoming. Where it says, okay, well then that just again. I I had a I had a Utah why, I had a I had a Utah Florida, um, Arizona, a bunch of things. But people have been talking about the murder aspect of this, right? And. By all means, like I said, the murder in and of itself is horrible, and it's tragic. But what I find interesting, folks, is the fact that she was a so was that she was a social media influencer, and in a weird way. Obviously, okay, I want to make something clear. I don't think she's alive. I don't th- I don't think she faked her murder or anything like that. Right? Clearly, clearly found her. Clearly, she's deceased. Uh, but, I do find it interesting. And... Unfortunately, somewhat disturbing that her death has been kind of used as a big, uh, you know, social media influencer type thing that's been going on. Um... And it's weird to me that uh, she she gained like a, she now has like a million followers on Instagram now after her death, and I don't know why, but that that to me that's kind of tragic in and of itself, in a sense, right? That she passed, and yet people are uh, kind of clout chasing her, right? And like there are already true crime podcasts out there about this, and you know, like streamers or 
are really getting into this uh and making like a like a big deal out of it it's almost uh you know it's it's a case of she's more famous in death than she was in life unfortunately um and i know that she was like part of the youtube ban community when she was alive that's what that's what i read about her and she was a big influencer in that circle but um you know outside of that no one really knew who this girl was i don't think um like i didn't know who she was and neither did apex let me ask uh for those of you in the chat here did it did anyone here in this chat know who she was before this whole murder thing came about anyone and, and i'm not don't misunderstand i'm not saying this to disparage her but th- this kind of shows um you know a, a culture now where uh you know where she's she's getting all this traction because she was someone online right and i had never heard of this girl a week ago, right? And the way that they're writing about her now, some people are writing about her like she was Princess Diana or something. And she wasn't. She was a, uh, you know, she was a, a young woman from New York. Uh, seemed like a very sweet young lady. From all accounts. Um, But the way people have. Glorified her online. Like oh. She changed. She changed the world. And she was so influential. She changed millions and millions of lives. Like I. I, I've read tweets from people. Saying stuff like that. And blog posts. And. Something about that just seems, I don't even know how to put it, folks, but it just seems really kind of uh, disrespectful of the, of the dead. Granted, I'm sure that there were people who um, she did influence pod- positively in, like, the van life community. But it just seems like people, by and large, are taking, uh, you know, advantage of this, of this poor girl's, uh, you know, of her death. Uh, let me see. Uh, Jamie in the chat says, don't you think her missing case, she would have been, 
you would have been ignored by mainstream apart from the interest of the YouTube community to find her. Her first video shows she's really talented. Um Well, I mean I'm not saying she's not talented and I and like I said, I'm not saying anything against the van life community or something. And yeah, I mean, I'm sure to your point, Jamie, um, I'm sure it was good that, um, you know, some of the YouTubers in her community put her story out there and whatnot, right? I, I'm not, I'm not saying anything against that. Don't, don't misunderstand. But what's been bugging me is how they've uh, almost made her like martyr isn't the right word, but they've made her into a fallen angel, and and she's she's more famous dead than she is alive, which is sad um and what's even more sad i think is like you have all these you have all these other youtubers now who uh you know are like trying to play investigative like csi um you know uh journalist like type of stuff because it's it's what they do like you know Mersh said the other night on like Nightwave although it, it's tragic like he, he finds this whole like cold case, cold case thing kind of entertaining right that's what he said about this and I just don't uh I mean, like, like if cold case, like mystery stuff, if like if that's like what your thing is, uh, you know, about like if you're one of those like true crime live streamers or true crime podcasters, just in general, then obviously, uh, you know, then by all means, go ahead, because that's your bag. But but it, now it seems like, for lack of a better term. Everyone is kind of like trying to grift off of this uh, whole thing. And I mean, I, you know, Merch can say whatever he wants. I don't, I don't necessarily find this entertaining. I find it tragic. And I find it tragic that she, uh, you know, that people are using her to cloud chase. I mean, if like, if that were my daughter... Or if that were my sister, maybe it's just me, but I mean, I would, at this point, like, I would just want her, I would just want, you know, us to be left alone if I were her, you know, family members. Um, you know, and let the authorities deal with, like, who done it. Um, you know, especially since he wasn't like a princess Diana or, you know, someone like that. Um, 
you know, like, when it comes to influencers, yes, they are public figures to a certain extent. But then the other thing with influencers, and I, I and I'm honestly just doing a flow of consciousness here, folks. The term influencer is just it's a wide scope. Right? Because in a sense, I'm an influencer. Right? Even though I only have uh, roughly like 750 subscribers on YouTube, you know, my podcast, like, you know, gets a couple thousand listens a month, you know, which, granted, like, I, I consider that I do pretty well, you know, for kind of like my sphere. And I'm sure there would be someone who would consider myself who would, you know, consider me, like, an influencer of sorts. But, granted, like, I'm not, I'm not, like, famous famous. I'm famous in small circles. But I'm not, like, worldwide famous. And I, I, I'm not necessarily sure I want to be at this point uh, in my life. And I'm not sure if that was... Uh, her intention either. Um, but it just seems super unfair that she's being used kind of as a uh, it just seems unfair that her story is being used just so people can cloud chase I guess. That's what bothers me. And, and yeah, Larry Larry uh, says her family must be happily numb with grief. Yes. And then, you know, to have, like, people on the internet speculate that, like, uh, you know, that, you know, what, what were her and her boyfriend doing? What was really going on with that relationship? Uh... You know, he he was he was abusing her, or, or she was abusing him, or uh, you know whatnot. Maybe there was even maybe there was evidence of, uh, you know, him abusing her. Um, you know, so I like I know certainly with the whole Owen Benjamin thing when we you know when I got caught up in that there was like a bunch of. Uh, you know, suspicious stuff between Owen and Amy. There was definitely abuse with uh, Owen and his dog. But, like, even so, you know, there are some things that should be left for the authorities, right? And, I mean, and, I mean, in terms of, like, the police who are investigating this, how many calls do you think they've gotten from like, crackpot YouTubers now who are just, like, uh, you know, saying, oh, well, I have new evidence or I have a theory about this, that, you know, and it just, it, it complicates the whole thing. So, um, you know, people are asking my, my opinion about the Gab, Gabby Petito thing. Um, you know, I think it's sad. 
um, you know, God rest your soul, um, and, you know, please, uh, God, you know, bring peace to her family and whatnot as well. And, you know, to her, to her boyfriend's family, whether he did it or not. I mean, they're being dragged through the mud on this too. And I'm not sure what's going on there, but it's just a, it's just a clusterfuck made worse by the, uh, you know, the social media, uh, kind of climate that we live in now. Let's see. Uh, yeah, my, my 95-year-old, Blair says my 95-year-old mother couldn't understand why Seattle uh, would go across the country along with a boyfriend. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's a valid point, but, I mean, in, in regards to that whole van life thing, Larry, I mean... We tend to think of that as kind of like a new trend because of social media and whatnot, um, and whatnot. But like my uncle, my late uncle Gary, uh, did that like back in the early seventies, um, when he was in his twenties, right? Like my my uncle was a. Uh, you know, and I and I bring my uncle up often because I really, uh, you know, he he was my. I've I've done a show on him before on the audio podcast. I might do a stream about him again, but um, you know, he was just he was a fascinating guy, and and he was one of my heroes, uh, admittedly. But my uncle, when he was uh in his early twenties. He was uh, kind of like a free-spirited, like, long-haired hippie, like, Jim Morrison uh, type. Not like in the singer sense, but he was a free spirit. And, like, he and his friends, I found this at his memorial service, uh, they used to go, um, in the summer, they would, they would rent, like, a V... They would rent like a VW van, and uh, they would they would sell bud they would sell uh cores uh banquet uh across state lines. Uh, this was before like cores became like a national brand. So you know, like cores was exclusive to Colorado, pretty much. So, you know, the, the idea of, like, living in a, in a van, you know, and, like, traveling that way has been around, uh, you know, forever. And, yeah, uh, let's see. And, uh, yeah. Well, and, and, again, and again, Jamie... Jamie does bring up the good point. Different for women can't travel, especially alone. Well, yeah, and I mean, I I agree with all I agree with all of that, uh, and I you know, and I'm sure 
I'm sure stuff like this happened back in the 70s, too. And we just didn't hear about it. Uh, you know, because people weren't connected like they, uh, like they are now. Um, and oh yeah, I mean, my, my uncle told me that, you know, he met a couple of, uh, you know, girls out there. And yeah, I mean, it, it definitely is much more, uh, dangerous out there for young women, um, you know, to do this type of stuff. Um, you know, that, that's why, uh, you know, like if you're going to be part of the, of the, uh, van life community, I would think at the very least, if it were me and my girlfriend or something, I don't have one, like hypothetically. I would think it would be good to like travel like in like a caravan or uh something like that. Right? Do you like do you like a caravan style kind of like a, a roaming uh tribes thing? Um that would be good. But, um, yeah, we, we can speculate endlessly for days on what, you know, happened, uh, what, you know, should have happened, who did what, and, uh, whatnot, but, you know, bottom line is, uh, you know, I, I, I just think that this girl's death was, uh, tragic and that her family, you know, out of everyone, they deserve to know the truth the most so uh that's just my take on things and uh you know that's uh that's just kind of that so anyway folks uh that just about does it for tonight uh, i want to thank each and every one of you for tuning in tonight and uh you know as always, uh, participating in the chat. So thanks for, for uh, tuning in. Thanks to uh, thanks to Jack for uh, coming on earlier this evening and uh, joining me. And again, you can follow him on Twitter at Jack Pierce Books. And uh, be sure to check out his podcast as well. I'll have a link to that down in the description. Uh, on YouTube and on the uh, audio podcast as well. Um, so, anyway, folks, that just about does it for tonight's show. Uh, from all of us here at NGC Studios, have a good night. God bless. God save this great nation. And I will see you on the next episode of The Whitfield Report. Thanks for listening to The Whitfield Report on the NGC Network. Please visit Sam's website at www.thesamwhitfield.com.
and support Sam on Patreon at patreon.com slash Whitfield Report. Until next time, God bless, God save this great nation, and God, freedom, legacy, in that order.